In today's Herb Talk episode, Phil and I are discussing the New Zealand native hohere and its well-known properties for in-clinic use, including its dosage and safety profile amongst relevant case studies with Phil. So join us in today's intriguing podcast Q&A discussion regarding hohere and this New Zealand native's potential therapeutic actions, effects and usage. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, Charlene. Kia ora. <laughs> Kia ora. Great to have you back as we discuss a bit more about our beautiful Phytomed New Zealand native range. And today, the herb of the month is hohere. So one of our questions that's popped up is, uh, I guess, our lovely intro into this wonderful herb is this wonderful native plant that I know you've had a long interest in. What are its key attributes and what makes it so interesting? I think to me, hohere, and, and probably to a lot of people, hohere or hohere is interesting because it's quite attractive when it's flowering. It, it really is quite a pretty small tree to put in your garden or in your, your nahere and your, your forest. And we're seeing a lot of it around these days. You know, it's, it's planted a lot by people like DOC or, or local councils or forest restoration projects, which is really great. But yeah, it is really attractive when it flowers and it has a, a bit of a nice aroma to it as well. It flowers in mid to late summer, nice uh, white, quite prolific flowers sometimes. But yeah, what makes it also interesting and relatively unusual is that it actually tastes quite nice. And as us herbalists know, that's, that's a rare feature when it comes to medicinal plants. It does have a mildly sweet taste when you chew the leaves. And uh, totally the opposite to fire leaf or horopito that we talked about previously. It's a good way to educate your children or your family or people you're talking to or patients about some of the, the physical attributes of plants and therefore some of their likely medicinal properties is to get them to taste it straight from the leaf or straight from the plant where possible. And it's very, very safe to do that with hoheria. You can actually have a whole leaf, not like uh, horopito, where you need to have a tiny fragment. <laughs> Before you get a bit of a fright. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, it's one that can really, I, I use it sometimes to uh, kind of try and whet the appetite of, of our uh, children. And, you know, yeah, this is a really interesting plant. Wow. Mm, it tastes sweet. It's not just marshmallow and sugar and stuff like that that is, is quite nice. So, so those things in, a, in itself, in themselves, make it somewhat interesting. It's a good teaching tool. But there's many different species. There's at least six or seven different species that have been characterised now. And to be honest, the whole taxonomy of hoheria or hoheria polponia needs a bit of revision because it probably hybridizes quite a lot with some of the other species. There's a closely related one called Hoheria angustifolia and Hoheria ovata, Hoheria sextilosa. These are also really quite common and, and according to the botanist there's a lot of hybridization that goes on and, and you see that when you see Hoheria growing because it is really diverse. Sometimes it's got quite narrow leaves, sometimes it's got quite fat leaves but they're always quite jagged around the edges. But of course, to us herbalists, what makes it so interesting is its rich content of polysaccharide hydrocolloids, what we used to call mucilage, soluble mucilage. So in that sense, it's our native equivalent to comfrey or ribwort or slippery elm, uh, marshmallow, all those other mucilaginous herbs that we use for a whole range of different uh, health conditions. So yeah, the, the actual individual uh, components, the sugar components are mainly um, ramnose and galactose in the case of hoherous polysaccharides. 
and all parts of the tree are, are rich in it, including the bark, which was more traditionally used, I think, as a medicine than the leaves. But I quite like using just the leaves because they're more sustainable, they're more accessible, and it doesn't compromise the, the health of the tree. But with, with things like Dutch elm disease starting to affect slippery elm and still far too much slippery elm being from wildcrafted sources rather than cultivated sources, and with slippery elm being a tree and, and a bark, obviously the sustainability of that species is far less, I believe, than, than this rapidly growing New Zealand native tree. So that, that's one reason to take an interest in it. I think the, these are all uh, you know, really good reasons. So um, you can use it for a whole range of things. We use it for everything that we would use those other mucilaginous plants for topically, for wounds, abscesses, burns, um, you know, inflammatory skin conditions, and also as a bit of an expectorant on the lungs. So it's, it's used a lot for that as well. And like you said, Phil, it has a beautiful appearance, hence its other common name, lace bark. Or uh, wood, lace yes, bark. Yep, yes, yep. yes. It's got that beautiful little ribbed appearance, doesn't it? Like lace, um, yep, but it yep. also tastes nice. And it is a fascinating herb. Yeah, and it's very easy to grow, and it's very fast growing, and therefore it makes it, you know, an ideal initial crop, like a colonisation crop where the yes. land has been bare and neglected for a while. It's, it's ideal perfect. in that way. And as you said, it's sweet, isn't it? Yep. And not only sweet looking, but it's sweet to taste, which yep. is very unusual for a herb for it us. Is. So yep. let's definitely make the most of that. The dosage. What dose are we typically looking at if we're wanting to see therapeutic effects with Hoheri? Uh, could you share a, ca- a case study example of when the dosage was extremely effective in its action? Okay. So like all herbs, the dose really varies on uh, depending on the condition and the patient. Uh, but in the case of Hoheria, you generally need reasonably heroic or, or quite high doses to get that pure polysaccharide hydrocolloid uh, mediated action. And that's particularly so for conditions like uh, constipation or, or you know lung congestion where you want to expectorate. So don't be afraid to go quite high sometimes. And if you do go too high, um, the patient will generally vomit, like um, happens with all expectorants. It's sometimes a fine line between a therapeutic dose and a, and a dose that causes emesis. Or in the case of taking it, you know, uh, for digestive conditions sometimes, particularly when things are a bit sluggish or constipation, <clears throat> you'll go the other way sometimes. It'll go to being, being a bit loose if you're giving too much. But generally it is a very, very um, safe herb and you can go quite high. I like to give it three or four times a day rather than just once or two a day, ideally, even though generally I include it in, in you know, main mixes where there's three or four other herbs and it's usually two or three times a day that the patient takes it. So so you can go easily up to 20 mils a day in an adult and even higher than that sometimes. But starting with five is usually, you know, to be recommended for, for low-grade conditions. Um, so in terms of a case, Hohere being ideally suited to children because of its sweetness and its gentleness. One case that I thought of was this nine-year-old child who had this really bad cough that had been going on for, for weeks keeping her and, and her parents awake every night. She'd seen the GP, had prescribed two courses of antibiotics over the preceding few weeks, and even and, and obviously paracetamol as well. That, that's given a lot to children for nocturnal problems sometimes, but also a cough mix containing dextromethorphan, which is an opiate, which isn't 
that great to use in young children anymore, but they do use it sometimes in older kids when it's quite bad, as well as a mucolytic drug, guafenazine, which again is not recommended as much as it used to be. It, it can help to soften the mucus and expectorate it. None of those things had really had much cut with this person, with this child. So um, I gave her just straight uh, hohiri. I gave straight hohiri to the parents and I advised them to give the sort of dose that I talked about earlier, even an adult dose. So they started her off with two or three mils and, and then went up to five, five mils per time, which she took several times a day. It's hard to know exactly how often, <laughs> uh, but particularly Always. before bed at night, I think they probably gave her 10 mil doses. But Within, within a few days, her cough was dramatically dissipated and, and within a week or so of taking it like that, the cough had completely gone, alongside other herbs like Echinacea. I also gave it at the same time. So just that simple remedy, Hoheria alone, really helped this child. And, and I've seen that again with, with other, other children. That's just one case of interest. I it think. has a great settling effect, doesn't it, whether you use it for cough or stomach discomfort. It just has that great mucilage, soothing um, kind of coating action, doesn't it, very much like Slippery Elm, if, you, if we align it to that in that sense. Yeah, and and the, the level of mucilage in the product varies depending on the batch, obviously, because, um, you know, yes. different batches um, have different percentages depending on... Partly, I think, the time of year when you harvest. I think you get more mucilage in the leaves in the summer and, and later in the autumn when you know the plant has gone through a period of relative drought or dryness, whereas midwinter there's more moisture and I think um, generally less mucilage. But that's just anecdotal observations. But it really does vary a lot depending on, on the plant and, and the time of day that you harvest it. Obviously, if it's really viscous and, and you notice that when you pour it and you, you taste it, it's really sweet, you can sometimes get away with lower doses than otherwise. So... Well, thanks, Phil. That's some um, great intrigue and info about Hoheria for those that aren't used to using it or just need to learn a little bit more. And are there any useful combinations of Hoheria with other herbs that you have found particularly effective? And are there any safety concerns when using this wonderful herb? There are many, many other herbs that you can combine it with. In fact, I haven't found it to not combine with anything, really. It does make a good base and, and a good uh, you know, background ingredient where you want a bit of sweetness and, and you're incorporating a range of other herbs. So when it comes to topical products, our Kiwi Herb Skin Restore that I, that I formulated many, many years ago, it's got green tea, kiwi fruit skin and seed extract and hoheria as a moisturiser. And, and that product was formulated to enhance skin health and, and encourage skin cell regeneration and protect it from the damage from sun, UV mm. um, and environmental damage. And uh, it combines really well, all those ingredients, they seem to, to work really well together. You can also use it topically for things like bites and stings and burns, like I said before, and uh, in that context it does combine well with other native plants, for which we have many for, for these sorts of applications, including manaka, kawakawa, akiaki, even karaka can be really effective sometimes for, for the ulcers and things like that, or even calendula, or even comfrey. You know, you can you can combine it with a lot of things, but all those seem to work quite well. When it comes to coughs, apart from using it as a simple, I generally do combine it with other native plants such as kumaro, sometimes kohi kohi, 
or um, non-native plants like Kala Campaign or Hawhound, and they they act in a different way, and so you get that synergistic action, I believe, through the the mucilaginous action as well as the the you know essential oil or you know volatile component um, expectorant action and, and the anti-inflammatory action of some of the terpenes and, and other phytochemicals in those other plants. So it combines with a lot of things and. With uh, bowel conditions, if you're treating constipation, you know, it is quite gentle, as I said earlier. So you might, if it's quite intractable or been going on for quite a long time, or you're treating somebody who's uh, laxative dependent and you're winning them off, you might want to incorporate a little bit of something like harakiki or rhubarb or cascara. Obviously, very cautiously, very tiny amounts, and they seem to work well together. You've got your base, your gentle hoheria working with those stronger anthraquinone-containing plants. Or you can add a lot of fresh whole plant dandelion. That's another really good aperient that can, you know, that also tastes relatively benign and uh, sweet, and that can sometimes help. So safety concerns, there aren't any, as I said earlier, apart from if you are giving too much, you'll soon know. I mean, there's a very, very, very rare chance of allergic reactions, as there is to anything, but apart from that, I'm not aware of anything that you need to worry about. That's great. Obviously, when you said it was a great children's herb, safety profile often comes into that. And as with um, well, a lot of herbs, um, it's safe to use, obviously, with children. And uh, there seems to be a great variance of dosage that you can use. Yep, and, and a variance in tolerance from one child to another <laughs> course, as well. Yeah. <laughs> and a natural variance in what mucilage you get, which I guess is always apparent in a herb, the time of year, the time of harvest, uh, the time of day, yep. all those things come into how the end raw material yep. behaves. Particularly with plants like hoheria, I've noticed over the years. Yep. Yes, oh, good to know. Yes, yeah, so hoheria may be particularly sensitive in that way. So a sweet but sensitive herb, that makes a lot of sense. Are there any lesser known applications for hoheria that you're aware of which you can share with us? We know it's great as, you know, for digestive support. We know that it's great, obviously, as expectorant and for that mucus removal. But well, mm. what else um, would it hydrocolloid give us that we yeah. may be not so well versed in? Yeah, all of, all of those topical applications that we talked about earlier, but also another one, it's not topical necessarily, it's, it's internal and it's for fevers. It was used sometimes for fevers traditionally, so cough and cold, you know, influenza, that sort of thing, it, it may help. You know, cupato, cutapo spider bites, we don't have toxic or nasty snakes here in Aotearoa, but we do have a couple of poisonous mm. spiders. If they bite you, it can be quite painful. You know, really good anti-inflammatory in that context. I think it's much more than just the polysaccharides working. But I, I guess apart from its direct pharmacological properties that we've talked about, which are largely attributable to those polysaccharide hydrocolloids and their, their kind of physico-medical properties rather than food being internally absorbed, one, I think, a, a very promising and underexplored potential application of hoheria is as a base, is as a, a vehicle to act as a carrier to deliver other medicaments. So I guess an analogy would be some of the seaweeds that, that we use sometimes now in, in medicine to deliver other drugs or phytochemicals or natural products that we want to have a slower du- duration of action. So if you want a prolonged action sometimes, if you put it in a, a polysaccharide base, you can prolong the, the duration of action. Um, you can also deliver certain medicaments or compounds or other healing agents to sites of action that may be hard to, to get those medicaments to otherwise. So in wound care or uh, post-surgical 
you know, healing bones that have been grafted or uh, even in dental uh, surgery, you know, where they've they've done bone grafts and they they want a long duration of action with an antimicrobial or an anti-inflammatory agent. Hohere being a polysaccharide mucilaginous safe base, I think, offers some promise in this regard. So it'd be good to see a bit of research happen. But yeah, as I said earlier, to me, I love it because it grows fast. When I came back to Aotearoa, having lived overseas for many years, it was the first native I planted. And now, you know, they're really big. And those slower growing podocarps and kauri and tanikaha and all the rest of it underneath, they, they love to have that protection. You know, that when until they're adolescent, when they're infants, they do like shade. So with, with the urgent need to, you know, reforest Aotearoa and regenerate and the growing interest and planting more natives, it's, it's a perfect plant for that purpose as well. Those are just some other applications. You just reminded me, though, Charlene, of, of a time about 15 years ago when I was um, in, a, in a public place and it was outside. I won't say where it was, but it, there was a lot of bush around. And I had my little son on my back. And for whatever reason or reasons, my belt, my old belt on my strides broke. And, and my pants started to fall down. And that's a bit awkward when you're holding a, a baby <laughs> on the back. And, and luckily there was a lot of hohira growing around. <laughs> so I managed to uh, strip a little bit of bark uh, discreetly and, and responsibly and made a, a simple belt. It took me about two minutes and it held up for the duration of the walk that I was on the next couple of hours. It is a really good fibre. So, right, that's a great example <coughs> of how it may be used for other things. Well, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of us um, not envious of that situation, but yeah. if, if you need it, it's there. It's a great supporting herb, isn't it, in Absolutely, many ways? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So more than just the medicine, it is yes. a valuable source of fibre and rope and Molly used it and still do use it for summer clothing and, and decorative hats, like you said earlier, with ribbon wood but it is a really valuable source of fibre as well. And that has obviously other huge applications across all sorts of, of different course. things. Of course, yeah. And as we look at sustainability more and more as we go forward, it's another source, much like you know hemp, that could be utilised as, as a source of fibre and yeah. you know external use, not just you know an internal use Indeed, for therapeutic yeah. We're benefit. We're spoiled for choice in this country. <laughs> yeah, we're very lucky <laughs> with our resources here. Yep. And hopefully as we move forward, we can gain a bit more knowledge and know how to utilise them a bit more, yep. including Hoheria. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being part of today's wonderful discussion and Q&A on Hoheri. And thank you for all our listeners today. And I hope all those various benefits have come at uh, news for you and you can have learned a bit more and you can utilise it within your own clinics for your clients in different ways and maybe in also different dosages as we've learned today. So we look forward to bringing you more phytotherapy talk in our next Herb Talk podcast. Kakiti Ano from the Phytomed team. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Charlene. Thanks. Kakiti.